Animal Training Academy is an online membership learning platform for training and behavior enthusiasts. As well as having a premium paid membership, ATA has been creating and releasing free content since 2014. One of its most popular contributions has and continues to be the Animal Training Academy podcast show with over 160 episodes. Also on offer is free courses, blog posts, and more. All accessible now at www.atamember.com. Hi, good afternoon. It's Friday. It's three o'clock for free time, which is Eastern time for, that's for Judy's benefit because Judy's on yeah. central time and we always get our meeting times. <laughs> I'm always challenged. Time challenge. Well, like, yeah. it is central or Eastern, so it's for free time, which is Eastern time. And we have a lovely guest here today. We have Dr. M from British Hello. Columbia, north of the border. So welcome, Dr. M. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's only noon here, so <laughs> <laughs> lunchtime for me. Yeah, so um, as, as, as usual, for those of you that may be tuning in that don't normally catch our chat and chuckles, this is a very informal conversation. We like to keep the conversations very informal. We like to have a lot of fun with it, and we hope that that way we have a more, a, a more impactful educational opportunity. So Judy, my co-host. Yes. Yes. Who lives in Missouri, Mississippi, That's Minnesota. Right. Where are you? Missouri. <laughs> Missouri, yay! It's, it's, an ongo- right. it's an ongoing joke, Dr. M, that I, I blame the fact that I'm English on the fact that I don't know the states of the states, but actually I've been a, I've lived in the US for longer than I ever lived in the UK, so it's actually quite embarrassing. <laughs> That's okay, I don't really know the states me. all that well again. <laughs> it's just I'm Judy, the only I have one this mental block with. with Judy. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Missouri. yeah okay oh, funny. all right how embarrassing yeah I was I, um, we were, I was talking to my husband the other day and I was sort of laughing about um, a day doesn't go by where we don't find some word or some expression that is different between the US and the UK and right. I, I was vehemently defending my British heritage and he looked at me and he said you've lived in the US longer than you ever lived in the UK and I was like yeah yeah I guess. I just recently had a U.S. colleague tell me about the phrase, bless your heart. We don't use that here. Do you guys oh. know this phrase? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is new to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in England, we would say, oh, bless your cotton socks. <laughs> oh, bless your, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Bless your cotton socks. It, it's actually, um, I don't think it's actually designed to be particularly complimentary. It's sort of a like, oh, bless no. your cotton socks. Oh, okay, bless your cotton socks. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. how it was explained to me too, was that it's a little bit like tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Look at Judy with her gorgeous dog there. Well, yeah. I had to bring a chair in for her. I'm at my taller mm. table. And so she couldn't put her feet up and see the camera. Mm. She yeah. or the screen so, rather. So she she likes got the her screen. chair. Yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> we should get like a co-host hat or something. Shouldn't I we? know she needs something. She yeah. loves to come yeah, to these meetings. An official emblem for the people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mine has has a couple bed options, but she's passed out. Do you want to see under my desk? Go on. Yeah. Look. There she is. Oh, Can you crashed. see her? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I, this is my gorgeous dog here, which right now my brother-in-law is in the house. And when my brother-in-law uh-huh. is here, I am pretty much chopped liver. 
my brother-in-law is the fillet sirloin steak so um, <laughs> yeah to the point where we have to actually almost sort of remove her from his car when when he leaves it's it's actually right. quite soul-destroying and heartbreaking the fact that my dog loves my brother-in-law more than me yeah. <laughs> but whatever as, well, long my cat, as long as she's happy that's all that's important yeah that's right yeah. the only thing that's important <laughs> yeah absolutely so if her emotional well-being is reliant on my brother-in-law then I'll just go sit in the corner and sulk. <laughs> yeah as long as my dog is perfectly emotionally safe and happy then we're all good yeah all right so let's talk about Dr. M because Dr. M um, sure. and some of the topics of conversations that we're going to hit today are house soiling litter boxes and then potentially some of the illnesses that can be exasperating or making those behavioral problems appear or more difficult so Absolutely. my question to Dr M was is she a feline person and she, her answer was no I love them both equally so I do I can't <laughs> pick and yeah. I do have a cat but he he's sunning himself somewhere but oh. he may come in and scream at me right. when he because <laughs> he wants his um afternoon meal spread in his foraging pile of paper so nice yeah, there's another topic we're going to talk about as well as enriching yeah he'll come oh, and yeah. yell at me if, if he thinks <laughs> I'm late so have you ever had cats duty are you have I you have a cat I have I yeah. grew up with cats I, right. I can't have a cat in my house with this one here right because she's so infatuated with him she loves him um, so much when um, she stays at my sister's she will stare at the cats she won't hurt them she right. likes them but she will not sleep at night. She won't eat. She oh. won't blink her eyes. And yeah. so it's kind of genetic. Her mom was yeah. that way. And so was wow. her dad. So I think it would make her crazy. But we have yeah. neighbor cats. Yeah. And she loves mm -hmm. the neighbor cats. I thought but you were going to say you were allergic to them. Because I, I grew well, up with cats as well. And I, as an adult, I always had cats before I ever got a dog. I was 30 before I got my first dog. But I realized that I had, I actually blamed my allergy on cigarette smoking, on the weather, on everything. Finally, but... my doctor said to me, no, it's the cats. So, well, yeah. Nikki, I'm, I'm actually allergic to dogs, cats, birds, and mm -hmm. horses, all of the oh animals that yeah. I work a lot with. But I think that's overexposure, right? Yeah. I'm with them mm -hmm. so yeah. much, but um, yeah. You know, Isn't it fascinating? Because yeah. I've, I've known several vets that have been allergic to animals as well. Oh, and, yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, literally, my morning sequence is jump out of bed, go straight for the antihistamine, mm -hmm. because I've already got an allergy breakout because I wake up with my dog's body, like, over my Hello head. on top of you. Yeah. So <laughs> you my know what? five minutes are sort of handling <laughs> my allergies, and then life begins. It's right. so interesting, because my acupuncturist said, you're not allergic to the animal, you're allergic to the food they eat. And I will tell you, raw fed dogs or dogs on a super high, like a commercial raw diet, I'm not allergic to. Interesting. But put them on kibble and I'm going to yeah. be ripping my skin. I'm itching so bad. So I, my acupuncturist told me that. And then I read a post on Facebook that a vet put that out yeah. there. So I don't know. Yeah. It makes sense. You should be yeah. allergic to whatever goes through yeah. their system. So, But it's the dander. Maybe Dr. M can jump is. in. I mean, mm -hmm. what exactly is dander? What exactly yeah. is that dander that's in their fur? And is it different between men, between cats and dogs? It is different between cats yeah. and dogs. And there is actually one diet. Is that from Purina, maybe? Purina. Mm -hmm. that is they have a new diet. To reduce the dander of the cats. And really? I do have clients that say it's helped significantly. I, I don't have any of those allergies. I haven't had that issue. But yeah, um, yeah they do have that diet out. And it's helped a number of people 
Yeah, but yeah, it's the dander. And so it is species specific. Does the dander actually bother, when, when dogs and cats have allergies, are they ever allergic to their own dander? Is that It is possible. Yeah, it is possible. It's very rare, but I've heard yeah. like every once in a while you'll hear of a dog right. who's allergic to a cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had one, my rusty was allergic to cats and birds. So, really? and everything and everything else under the sun, probably himself too. Uh, so yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. My, um, my partner has some allergies to cats, but uh, not too severe. And so we're able to manage that with every once in a while some antihistamines like especially during mm-hmm. spring and fall shedding yeah. <laughs> right when they seem to be a bit more affected yeah so, <laughs> so you know what what I did I started taking quercetin uh, as uh-huh. a recommendation from my um one of my Chinese medicine doctors it totally stopped my allergies and now I'm starting starting to see that they're recommending that for dogs to take oh, quercetin yeah huh. yeah interesting Nor- normal doctors won't tell you about that just you know holistic doctors and yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. So with our, uh, I know over the last probably, and, and I say this, I don't know, I'm speculating here based on my own experience, because I had a, a young dog uh, uh, when I got her, she was a few months old, a rescue, and we had um, massive problems with allergies in Florida. Um, and my vet told me that central Florida in particular is really bad for dogs. Yeah. And, and it's funny because the dogs that I know that were born here don't seem to have the problems, but rescue that was brought in here. And oh, I don't Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, it, we had her on Apoquel, which I know a lot of people are quite yeah. controversial about. They say they sort of, they, they notice anxiety and all kinds of other problems. We didn't notice anything with Apoquel. Mm. But now that there are medications like Apoquel, are vets more sort of prone to recommend that versus recommend a Benadryl? Because I know vets used to also recommend Benadryl, didn't they? Yeah, but now we have some studies that show it's not effective, really. Benadryl? Yeah, yeah. for dogs, for dogs, for yeah. that species. It doesn't yeah. do a lot. Um, and it, you know, causes a lot of sedation for them. And then people yeah. use that to try to cover anxiety, but it has no anti-anxiolytic properties. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's complicated, but ideally yeah. you can work with a veterinary dermatologist if the environment is the problem, because then yeah. there are, they can offer more treatments there. There can be injections that can very slowly like ramp up the dose of allergen to try to get the pet to be more tolerant of that allergy. Right. And that can be successful, not for everybody, but for some. And then of course you have to have your management plans that include right. medications of various types. Yeah. And um, sometimes even uh, there are some therapeutic diets that have more omega fatty acids and other ingredients to help to improve the yeah. skin barrier. And so then if you have a healthier skin barrier that can help to reduce the reaction to the allergens and or the likelihood of developing all those secondary infections, which is really the problem because they itch, so then they lick or scratch and then they get secondary infections and that makes them more itchy and it's this nasty cycle. So yeah, yeah, just trying to break that cycle. Where I live, there's a a lot of fleas. And so we need Mm. flea prevention here year round. Um, But like, yeah, from colleagues in, in places like Florida, I, from what I understand from what they're saying, it's a lot of that humidity and that heat just makes it harder on the skin barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense. I don't have that heat here. Yeah. I'm just going to switch topics on you. And this is actually a little sure. unfair because we, we, we hadn't, we, we didn't talk about talking about this, but I, I saw something recently about it and actually posted um, 
Dr. Karen Becker put something on Facebook about it and it wasn't research that she did, but other research that had been done about how it's more benefit. Scientists and doctors are now saying, Judy, you might have read this. And if, and if it's not something that you guys are up to date on because it's just come out or you don't want to talk about it, just tell me and we'll move on. And um, that it's sure. the correlation between only feeding one meal a day um, that they're now seeing less cancer and less anxiety and less this and less that with dogs that are only fed one meal a day now I'm just going to preface that by saying that and the same research for humans as well I think there has been some research that suggests that we shouldn't be feeding dogs the first thing in the morning because their natural body rhythms are not actually set up to eat first thing in the morning but it's like as I mean do, do we all remember as school kids when you're literally being forced fed by your parents to show yeah. you how to take and you're like I'm not bloody hungry I only woke up 10 minutes ago but it's all about right. get you up, get you dressed, get you fed, get you off to school. Mm-hmm. And I, right. as an individual, I have never, ever, as an adult, ever eaten before 11 o'clock. I have never been hungry before 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're suggesting that it's the same with dogs, that they're natural. How do you pronounce it? They're circadian rhythms. What's that word that's used for natural? Car- um, yeah, arcadian rhythms. About- yes. Yeah. That, that we, we're not actually set up. Our internal setup, our body, our hormones is not designed to be processing food first thing in the morning upon awakening. So, um, are, are any of you familiar with that research? Have you read anything about it? I haven't read I, that, no. I, I read it and I my vet is a nutritionist and I sent it to her and her response was, oh, for God's sake, now I'm going to have an increase in bloat, an increase in yeah. acid reflux, exactly. an increase right. in vomiting. She said, there is no way I would ever recommend that. So right. in reading exactly. the study, I don't know that the study really covered all variables because in order for it to be a valid study, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. M, don't you have to be pretty consistent? I mean, who knows? Were those dogs all eating the same food? Were they the same breed? Were they the same age? Were they yeah. the same yeah. health? Yeah. I yeah, haven't and, read the study, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah. about yeah. it. But my I'll thoughts just, send just to you. Yeah, yeah, that'd maybe be great. Can, yeah, maybe we should come but back just, in a couple of months and discuss it in more detail. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing that theory, it's exactly what you're mentioning. I'm very concerned that this will cause bloat problems, and then dogs, if they're more hungry, then they'll overeat and then vomit. And we do have a lot of dogs that will have a buildup of stomach acid overnight that actually need a meal like last thing in the evening and first thing in the morning to prevent right. vomiting from that stomach yeah. acid from yeah. sitting in there for so long. Yeah. So, like my knee jerk reaction is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and also you have to wonder with sentient you know living beings that i mean we're all yeah. subjects of one aren't we and what's right for sure. one is not going to be right, right for I absolutely mean, you know i do a lot of i don't do a lot of it i do some personal coaching as a running coach and oh you know i get a lot of clients talking to me about intermittent fasting and stuff like that and and there's yeah. so many different variations of intermittent fasting sure. so mm-hmm. people go I, yeah. I, I i definitely buy into that well which one do you buy into because there's multiple different versions of it and they all yeah. different, you know it's not as sure. simple as just taking something wholesale. It, we ha- you have to right. look at what individually works for you. So I, would, I, I would think it's the same with our dogs. I and also worry. Oh, I, right. maybe you have, I also worry about the little dogs because of their glucose fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah, oh, we got Doctor Judy with us here. Look at you! Uh, no, it's I, a very good point for, <laughs> for young dogs, for old dogs, for small dogs, mm-hmm. for diabetics, for all of those dogs. It's not going to work. Yeah. And then um, one other thing, I'm just thinking about, like I use my dogs 
meals to reward on our sniffaris every morning mm-hmm. and evening. And so how am I going to reward the behavior I want if I'm only I'm, giving one meal a day? Like that's just not mm-hmm. possible to right. do. I, I just, yeah. I don't see it being yeah. like logistically feasible, never mind better mm-hmm. for the dog. Anyway, but well, I'd love I, to read the paper. So I mean, yeah, I, I remember when we did PPG's gig week last. When was it? November, Jude. Um, yes. Dr. Connor Brady. We we often try and get Dr. Connor Brady mm-hmm. on because he's a, he's a uh, behaviorist, but he f- focuses on nutrition, and we just love him, don't we? Isn't that? Oh yeah, he's amazing. He's really knowledgeable. He's an absolute who. He really is. Yeah. And I I had the pleasure <laughs> of hosting that session. And at the very end of it, I was asking, I was facilitating and moderating questions from the audience. And I, I said to him, because um, he feeds, you know, puts out like platters with different food types and stuff. And I, I had said that thanks to my friend and colleague, Judy, that about three years ago, I convert, when I got Judy as a puppy, we put her straight onto raw. She had some primal. But, and because he sort of wholesale was saying that commercial foods aren't good. Well, you know, primals are commercial food, but it's a good, it's mm-hmm. a good food. Um, and I, as soon as I said typical. it, I, as soon as I said it, I regretted saying it because he said quite rightly, but if you feed your dog the way I'm sort of recommending, your dog's going to get a lot more enrichment. And I didn't have the opportunity and I've always wanted to clarify <laughs> this. So I'm using this platform now. My dog's entire life is enrichment. Every day yeah. is enrichment. She is having a puzzle or a toy or audio or visual or you know something yeah I mean every single minute <laughs> of her day there is an enrichment um component to it so I, I sort of thought oh my god he must think I'm one of those pet owners that just throws food down and that's the end of it <laughs> which is not not true no no yeah but um, I love I love food puzzles and the opportunity mm-hmm. to rotate them to keep them fresh and exciting yeah is wonderful yeah. and my dog likes yeah. that too and when she gets her um, frozen food puzzles, we'll tend to take out mm. like a couple of them out of the freezer mm. and just say, hey, mm. do you want Which a one do you want? Do you want a Kong? Do you want mm. a pickle? Yeah. Asking questions yeah. Yeah. Pickles. Yeah. yeah. And then she'll, she'll pick the one she wants. And sometimes yeah. it really surprises me which one she picks. And I just, yeah. I find that endearing. <laughs> I love it. so and- funny. Isn't it? And then I love, yeah. and I finally got my husband sort of saying it now. I mean, I, with my dog, I try to make sure that at every opportunity for, with, with safety as parameter, that she can make her own choices because yeah. she can't decide when she goes out for a walk and she can't decide when to pull the food out of the cupboard. So at least she can decide everything else. But mm-hmm. what fascinates me is that we run every day and we'll go out in the morning and in the summer, I'll run a couple of miles with Dugan and I pop her back in the house and we go back out to do longer distances. And I will put down on the floor three different snuffle mats, one of those tornado toys that spins around and a frozen <laughs> Kong that might have. She always, and I know this because I've also got a pup pod so I can video her. She always <laughs> goes tornado first, uh-huh. then the snuffle mats in a particular mm-hmm. order and then gets the Kong last. And I don't know why. That's I, funny. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Because I'll know, I'll tell you why, because she's a herding dog. And once they do something, <laughs> it's a pattern. Yeah. I, I mean, this one yeah. here, she just left the meeting. She thought it was boring. Um, but she, <laughs> everything's got to be done. It is because she's not the center yeah. of attention. So it is boring. Yeah. yeah. I also wonder but, a yeah. bit if the Kong allows for laying down and if it's like a ramping down yeah. through yeah. those food puzzles. Yeah, that's so. Relaxation, I, so. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. 
Because she does the hardest one first. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you say that, but the way she spins it with her nose, it's actually the easiest one because she spins it and then grabs them and spins it and grabs them. I mean, my husband husband said to me, he goes, why, that's not enrichment. That is, I mean, it's easier than a bowl for her. I mean, she literally (laughs) just grabs and runs. So, but I do love snuffle mats. And I have to say, Kelly Lee, who used to be the chair of our rescue and shelter committee, um, Dr. Kelly Lee, who has the gorgeous little dog Pancake, who I follow on Facebook. It's a little three-legged dog she rescued about a year, two years ago, I think it was. Um, she showed a video a few days ago, a pancake on a snuffle mat. And I actually, as soon as I saw it, I was on Amazon buying it. It's absolutely huge. It has like four different areas on it. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, that's brilliant. I can use that instead of the other three small snuffle mats. Well, that isn't what happened. Right. That, that goes down in addition to the other snuffle mats. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, always. I have something with many stations in it that my cat really likes too. Like it Those has some pieces fun. that he has to flip over and so that his little pod yeah. digs stuff out. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, yeah, he really likes that one too. Those yeah. are fun. Yeah, my my dog is a little bit hard on those ones and she tends to tear them. And so there has to be careful supervision if she's given <laughs> like that. Otherwise we might be doing a foreign body surgery. So yeah, yeah. I don't with that. Isn't it, it's fascinating, isn't it? And I'd love to know if there's a correlation between how dogs are raised versus breed versus sort mm. of energy level. Because I have never had a dog and I've only had four dogs because I didn't start a dog ownership until I was 30. I have never had a dog and Doogie, my dog now, who I did get as a puppy, Mm-hmm. Um, all my dogs love to pick things up and hold them, but I've never had a dog that has ever ingested, chewed, or damaged anything using its mouth. You better uh, knock yeah. on wood, Nikki. You better, yeah, and don't get a Labrador. Yeah, never, <laughs> because, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you don't know how much the world is so, edible well, I, until you have a Labrador. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's because when they were puppies, there was so much management at play and enrichment at play that they never really got the opportunity. But I know other colleagues of mine that are just as diligent about raising puppies, about prevention and management. And yet given the first opportunity, the dog's chewing through the table leg. So genetics matter. Yeah. Genetics matter, but I think also diet matters. There's so much to it with diet. Are they being fulfilled? Are they looking for something else? You know, I always wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I'm Sometimes. looking for that thing. I mean, we had a client years ago who lived in Panama City Beach, and I won't mention her name for confidentiality reasons. I mean, this lady, her husband owned multiple Chevrolet dealerships. I mean, very affluent family. They had the most gorgeous house overlooking the ocean. And she had um, four, four black labs. And um, they had a dining room that was really formal with like a 16-seater table in there. And every leg, if you looked underneath, had like... <laughs> I mean, one day that table is just going to go. <laughs> it didn't seem to bother her at all. It, just, it was like, oh, that's, that's the boys. It is also important that we remember that Pika, so eating non-food yeah. objects for some pets can be because of GI upset. Yeah. And that's something mm-hmm. that gets overlooked and they don't properly yeah. get a medical workup. And we just assume, oh, this is a behavioral thing. Right. But mm. um, in actuality, they have some GI upset. Yeah. So anyway, it it's just one well, thing that people don't right, think about often. Yeah. And that was actually one of the mm-hmm. topics of our conversation today was looking at some of the behavioral problems and some of the underlying medical causes. Because one of the things we want to talk about today was house soiling, wasn't it? And, sure, yeah. and how that's not always a training stroke reinforcement history driven behavior that it can be 
um, have some underlying medical issues. So absolutely little story of my own raising Doogie again, only ever had um, three accidents and they were all the same day. And it was all three days after she got spayed and mm. she had um, cystitis. Mm-hmm. so an infection and I, I've never had I've never never experienced I've always been very lucky actually I've never had those problems before. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I haven't either but I know people who've had cystitis and they express that it's excruciatingly painful and it's yeah. far more common for our cats than for our dogs but yeah right. why is yeah. that why is that is it because they're not they don't take as much liquid in or they why do you think that is we wish we knew <laughs> properly, <laughs> but there seems to be, so because urine is slightly acidic, um, if the lining in the bladder to protect the bladder cells from that little bit of acid in the urine, if that is like faulty or thin or poor quality in any way, then you're going to have more irritation from the urine on the bladder wall. And so right. some people think that that contributes to the inflammation in the bladder wall because cystitis itself is not an infection. It's just inflammation within the wall of the bladder. Right. Um, and so right. I, like a an infection is different um, and they can go together, but it's often that you can see cystitis without infection. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's a, we wish we knew more about this for cats. Um, there are a lot of cats that seem, we just call it idiopathic where we never figure out the reason why. Um, some cats, once they are fed a diet that is designed to help dilute the urine, so they drink more and they urinate more. And because they're voiding more often, that acidic urine doesn't sit in the bladder for as long, and that can help to reduce Mm -hmm. irritation. And if it's a less concentrated urine, then that also can help to reduce bladder inflammation. Um, so some cats just need that and then they don't have issues anymore. Some cats need more enrichment and that helps them to no longer have cystitis problems. Uh, and then, yeah. And then there, like I said, there's just so many that we never figure out exactly what's causing their problem. So with, with yeah. cats, I know it's hard to get cats to drink. What do you think of the cat fountains that are out there? The little yeah. water fountains? So there, there was some research showing that the running water does help to encourage drinking for a lot of cats. Um, but other things that we need to consider is remembering to move the bowl a bit away from the wall because a lot of cats like to sit with their back to the wall so that they can watch the room as they drink. Um, and also they seem to like bigger and shallower dishes again in theories that they can watch the room but also some cats really have very sensitive uh, vibrissae their whiskers Whiskers. and Mm -hmm. some cats seem to be irritated by the whiskers touching the bowl um some cats it doesn't seem to bother them but we Mm -hmm. do know that they use their whiskers to help them navigate in space and to know like if they can fit into certain spaces. Um, so it would make sense that constantly having those, you know, smooshed into a narrow bowl could be irritating for some cats. Um, and it's also important that we don't have plastic bowls because yeah. they will get mm-hmm. little scratches in them that you can never clean properly. And so you right. need glass or stainless or ceramic and have, you know, multiple water sources that they're always near one. So if they think, oh, hey, I'm a bit thirsty, that they don't have to truck two floors and yeah. over some baby gates yeah. and whatever else to get to their water, right? So they, sh- they shouldn't um, have to work for it. Yeah, at least one that's yeah. a running water source, multiple sources, all from glass, stainless, ceramic, 
replace all the water every day, like clean the dishes every day. Just doing those basics is a really good start. (laughs) Well, you know, you mentioned the whiskers on the side of the bowl. My sister had a Shih Tzu that had a um, ulcer on his eye. And I walked in her house and I looked at her, his bowl and he had kind of a deeper bowl, deeper than his eye. And I said to her, I said, why don't you just get some flat things? Because is his eye rubbing on the side of the bowl when he eats? So I tell all my clients with dogs that are like that, get a flatter bowl. Is it a thing? I don't know, but it just kind of makes sense that it could affect them as well. But it also doesn't yeah. do any harm. It's, it doesn't do any harm, does it, to test a few things? No. Because we can tell no. by our dog's behavior, mm-hmm. our cat's behavior, you know, which right. is more comfortable for them. So, Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, I feed, I mean, Dogie gets fed from a silicon bowl now. I bought it, actually bought mm-hmm. it from Westport um, okay. during, during Geek Week. Yeah. Because the, one of the um, experts was saying that, you know, dogs shouldn't be drinking out of stainless steel or plastic and or, or, and or ceramic. And I thought, well, I'll try yeah. it and see it. But if she doesn't like it anyway, I mean, she just seems to really enjoy eating out of it. So I got the water yeah. for her as well. And I use all glass. Yeah. And yeah, the, glass. the Pyrex, you want to make sure yeah. it's good yeah. glass, yeah. you know, healthy yeah. glass. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can put those things through the dishwasher, which is nice too. Right. The less I, dishes I have to do, yeah. the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. I have a question for you, Dr. M, that came from Facebook. Sure. The question is, do raw fed cats get UTI? I mean, I would think that there's never a conclusive yes or no to anything, but how, how would you answer yeah. that question? Do raw fed cats get UTIs? Yeah, they do, because so many of those um, formulas are not properly balanced. And so then you have concerns that the urine pH is abnormal, and that can predispose to urine crystal formation and therefore also uh, UTIs. Right. So it, it is a thing. There, there is research on whether, like, if cats are eating um, different nutrition styles with different uh, water amounts in the food itself. And that did not have any change on the concentration of their urine, because if Hmm. they say eat more canned food, then they just drink less water. And if they eat more kibble, then they drink more water. And so it didn't make a difference, which when they were fed, it's a myth that goes around that, you know, that feeding kibble is bad or whatever. That's just not Mm -hmm. shown to be true in the research. Um, And so we just need to make sure that we give them proper water resources that are cleaned every day. Yeah, that's the most important bit. Now, there are some diseases that once the cats get them, that sometimes prescription diets can help to prevent those diseases in the future. But we just don't have any information saying that um, that kibble causes them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's a difference between management and causation, right, of different diseases. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think as well, I mean, what's, what's the expression that um, you're born with genetics, but some, the environment pulls the trigger. I don't remember the expression because even if you look at human health, I mean, you can sure. see examples of humans that don't exercise, don't look after themselves, mm-hmm. don't eat the right foods, so putting carcinogens in their body and the lips, the lips are hundred. And then yeah. you have another person right. that right from being a child is, has parents that are health healthy, conscious, I mean, antioxidants, all the rest of it, exercise, and they die at 50. I mean, it's, it's really, it's difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, I mean, I I look after my health because I, my dog's health, because I want, if I'm going to be on the planet for 80 years, I want them to be good 80 years. 
But if I'm only going to be here 50 years, well, it's too late for that. I'm over 50. If you know, I, want, I want it to be good 50 years. 50, 50 yeah. more years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In yeah. that med, we're very, very, most of us, I should say, are very, very focused on quality of life yeah. over quantity. Yeah. And so we really want to focus mm. on, on that quality because if, if the um, pets are miserable, like what's, what's the point of keeping them alive there Absolutely. for them, there isn't one. So yeah. it's all about that quality of life, isn't it? <laughs> and I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why behavior euthanasia is such an important topic because, um, I mean, I remember years ago being called into an animal shelter on the Emerald coast of Florida and they were asking my advice for a dog that they'd had in solitary confinement for seven years. Oh, and I was like seven terrible. years. There should have been a decision made after six months. I mean, this is outrageous. Mm-hmm. This dog, this dog wasn't even in contact with, no contact with people, let alone animals. I mean, that is just not the way any animal should be no. uh, living. I mean, True. that's not, not fair. Yeah, absolutely not. And that, I mean, oh, that breaks my heart. they're not. And the yeah. dog was there because of behavioral issues. It had been surrendered right. multiple times. And every time it had gone out, the bites had got worse and worse. I mean, right. it was, um, and I actually, um, I referred it because I, Emotionally, I just can't be involved in those kind of cases because this is a dog that's already been, I mean, mm-hmm. that was not going to be a good outcome. Um, yeah. It wasn't. But I mean, that's not quality of life. And you no. only have to look at the five freedoms. I mean, you're not even meeting one of them. Exactly. <laughs> right. To any degree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's a problem. It's, it's yeah. A, yeah. 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 There are some, <laughs> I know that it can be difficult for people to understand if they haven't been in it, but I have experienced very many situations where a humane and kind euthanasia is far better for that animal mm-hmm. than what they were in before. Yeah. And I know mm-hmm. that's not easy and like we would love to be able to save everybody. Um, and yet realistically, yeah. that just isn't always in the best interest yeah. of the animal. Yeah. And so sometimes that means making really hard decisions to prevent immense right. amounts mm-hmm. of future suffering. Like yeah. that's what we're trying yeah. to do. Um, and yeah. It, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, philosophically, I wish we could do the same humans, but legally we can't mm. just yet. But um, right. here yeah. in Canada, we do have yeah. um, medically assisted yeah. uh, death here. Yeah. I think in, well, I think wow. in Oregon they do as well, but it's not. Oh, do they? Yeah. But it's very difficult to access, mm-hmm. and I know that because my brother, mm-hmm. my um, brother-in-law, died there a few years ago, and he had his entire body was riddled with cancer, and the, mm-hmm. it would have taken longer to go through that process than he had left. Mm-hmm. So he, so he suffered for four months. Yeah, horrible. Um, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, but it is. I have, but, and it's but it's yeah. the one it's the one thing that I feel grateful for that we can certainly help our pets through, mm-hmm. that we yes, can we, we can celebrate their life and we can help them leave life in a way that is. Yes that you know dignified right and right yeah 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 absolutely absolutely I'm down to that miserable topic yeah I'm sorry oh, oh, let's get this back up again oh my god but it went from food to UTIs all the way down to that. oh my god I mean it is it's a, hard, it's a hard conversation and I do think it's a conversation that needs to be had I'm just not sure that we're ready to have it today so yeah totally yeah. fair but it, it's a yeah. complicated one yeah mm-hmm. it's a complicated one yeah but well, I, I am it's grateful. Also, that... It's a bit of a political hot button as well, isn't it? Because oh. I was an executive director of a shelter many, many years ago. And when I took over, they, they said, no, kill. And I just said, I, I, I can't sit in this position and go out and tell the public, especially when you're fundraising, that we're no kill because we euthanize animals here. We are a low kill shelter. 
you know, if an animal yeah. comes in here that is, you know, dying and in pain, we euthanize. We, we as you right. should, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, as you should. So yeah. I, 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 I really don't. I mean, I, I know it's verbiage and nomenclature, but I personally don't really. There isn't really a no kill. It's low kill no. or, um, yeah. whatever the opposite to that is, because you know, we shouldn't be keeping everything alive. I mean, we just no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Um, and I think because then you end up with hoarding situations and you end up with people who with animals who are yeah. suffering for years and years and years and years and years yeah. and that's worse for the animal right. yeah it, it just yeah. Is. like it, yeah there's no way around that it does yeah. fascinate me and I don't know whether we I, whether any of us have got the knowledge to even discuss this but I know mm. down here in Florida and especially in the south because I'm in Florida um a lot of animals get sent to the north because there are not enough animals there in shelters for adoption but here we're euthanizing thousands because of lack of space and i and i wonder if anyone's done any studies to try and understand whether that's fascinating yeah why is that is it because there are more more animals being born here because climate because of the population or are more animal or is it more difficult to rehome them i mean you know what's are more are more being euthanized in the north because they feel they're not adoptable. I don't and know. So, yeah. You know, it's hard to say. Yeah. I just know that I mean regularly animals, you know, get put onto buses and get moved yeah. up there because um there's more chance. I mean when I was an exec right. director in Panama City, we worked with three other rescues along the Emerald Coast and we did this because we noticed that if we had four border collies, you weren't going to home four border collies, but a shelter 40 miles away might have four Labradors or four of such. So we would actually switch out dogs so that sure. there was, so that each place had a, and also had a variety between large, small, what we call the, the small and mm-hmm. fluffies because the small and f- fluffies go out the door really quick and the young ass where the fully mixed dogs Mm -hmm. tend not to so we would deliberately strategically move animals around because it did help them get adopted um but that wasn't based on capacity that was just based on you know understanding what the needs of that marketplace were in terms of what animals you know how long animals were staying what was the length of stay for an animal sure so um, yeah yeah it's interesting that's smart to do i've not ever worked in a in a shelter i have volunteered for spay neuter clinics and like low income facilities um but i have never worked in a shelter my very first thought about why animals might be moved is there a change in how people are thinking about spay and neuter in the in the two different geographical locations like are more pets spayed neutered north and less south and is that um economics is that is that views like why would that be that would be the first spot i'd want to look though (laughs) yeah i've I've, I've always followed the work of nathan winograd i don't know if you guys are familiar with nathan winograd he Mm -hmm. he, um a colleague and i years ago she founded an animal rescue called aliquot animal refuge and i helped her co-found it and then pulled away from it for um lots of reasons but we sort of read his book called Redemption and the shelter that we were opening was low kill um, because so many animals are being euthanized in the area. And he had a strong argument and as a, he's a lawyer, but he's also um, a very smart guy that if you actually looked at the number of animals that are available for adoption across the U S and if 
the, 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 a lot of people think that there are just not enough homes, but actually there are enough homes. It's the way these animals are being marketed mm-hmm. and geographically where they're located, which does, which does sort of go into the discussion about moving animals north. The, I mean, his argument yeah. being that we shouldn't be euthanizing animals based on space, period. You know, mm. that we're right. utilizing animals under the sort of guise that there aren't enough homes. And actually there are enough homes. There are enough people wanting them right. if they can mm-hmm. access them. Which is um, an interesting yeah. conversation as well. Interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah. haven't heard that yeah. one before. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's an entire market. It's an entire industry of its own, isn't it? The rest of mm-hmm. the shelter industry. And yeah. I, I just, I have so much respect for the people that work within it because it isn't. It's like the veterinary industry. I mean, it's emotionally, it's Tough. so difficult, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. Lots of hard decisions to make. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 You have yeah. a video, Doctor M, on your link tree, which is called is it to do with veterinarian suicide oh yeah i did do yeah seeing as we've already delved into euthanasia and death let's keep talking (laughs) because statistically it is one of the highest industries for professional suicide isn't it yes it is yeah and it's it's, and there i'm mm -hmm. sorry go on oh no i i thought you were done (laughs) go ahead I, i was actually i just um yeah go on Okay. Yeah. yeah, the there is some research that is starting to look into this now and it and it seems to be very multifactorial. Right. Um, as most complicated mm-hmm. issues are. Yeah. Um, but a significant portion of it is yeah, trauma from everything that we witness on a day-to-day basis. Right. right. And mm-hmm. in a lot of veterinary clinics you know, there's one or maybe two vets on at a time. And Mm -hmm. so you're very isolated. And that's definitely something I've experienced too. Um, That, yeah, you have so much responsibility every single day on your shoulders to run a hospital by yourself. And you don't know what's coming through the door, if it's a hit by car or something really serious and severe. And then that means the rest of your day is off the rails. Then every other client yells at you because you're late. Um, and, you know, yeah. there's just so many pressures that go on behind the scenes that the average client has no idea. Yeah. And then the other um, big challenge is that we graduate with so much student yes. debt. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So poorly. It, it, doesn't, it, has the, it has the worst ROI for professional, doesn't it? Student debt, mm-hmm. veterinary. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your debt crazy. to income ratio is just untenable. And so yeah. it means like you can't get approved for a mortgage. You can't, you crazy. can't afford vacations. You can't do any of those things. And, you know, maybe people that graduated long before me, their student debt was low enough that they still could, but our debt has just... <clears throat> dramatically skyrocketed and we are not paid in a way that allows us to pay off those debts and live I mean like if I if I if I didn't have a partner to pay bills I wouldn't be able to afford I think yeah I I, I do have an sort of intimate knowledge of it because we did buy an animal hospital a few years ago which had several vets working in it and I was um I think I was most shocked by the salary that the vets, mm-hmm. not the owner, that the vets were earning. When you consider yeah. the number of years of study um, yeah. and the experience required, you would be hard struck to find another profession that compensated so poorly. 
you, you well, can't and, like, so if you, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, well, and another, just to add to that stress, I see a lot of vet clinics in my area now have the vets on commission. So now okay. there's salespeople and trying to push things to get their salary where it needs to be. And that's, that's stressful because yeah, you're not just awful. doing your job. You're having to try to do something to increase what's coming in. So it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. If, so the closest thing that you can kind of compare us to are doctors for the human species, mm-hmm. as far as like postgraduate education yeah. and debt, we're yeah. very similar that way. And yet if you compare like the veterinary salary um, for say a, a human GP, they are paid well over double what kind of the best veterinarians are getting paid. And so that that is an immense stressor. Yeah. Like it just in reality, it, it really is. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, gonna to ask you a question about the suicide rates. So I've got to be really careful how I word this because I'm not I'm not minimizing the stress and the life and that sort of a day in the life of a veterinarian because I, I think I do have quite a good understanding um, mm-hmm. and, and the emotional turmoil and then you sort of mm-hmm. compound that with the debt but mm-hmm. my question to you and this is a bit that I've got to be careful wording sure. ma- many of us that work with animals we do have slightly mm-hmm. different personalities than those humans mm-hmm. that decide to work with people and, <laughs> and a yep. lot of people mm-hmm. work with animals because they don't necessarily want to be around people for whatever reason, because their coping skills aren't good, because they're introverts, because for whatever reason. Do you think that is another correlating factor to why the suicide rates are high? Because the type, and again, I have to be careful because I don't want to sort of label people, because the type of personality that sort of motivates people to work with animals is, is prone to be more emotional, more compassionate, more caring and therefore it's more difficult for them to deal with that does that make sense yeah that is kind of part of that moral injury if you will right right what what was shown Mm. was that because the barrier to get Mm. accepted into vet school is so high right this self-selects for people that are a bit perfectionistic right and so then when you have that tendency but then you're in the Mm. real world where all of a sudden people can't afford things yeah. that you yeah. know you could fix. Yeah. But you can't because there is no money yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, that amount of stress is horrendous and it really weighs on people. Right. right. Um, and so then when you have a perfectionist who can't do what they know they can, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really hard. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like, you know, it's day after day after day after day. <laughs> there, there isn't an end to that stress. Um, well, I just, yeah. Let me, let me give you it's a very, tough very, thing. Let me give you a basic example. And I think this is what you're speaking to. When I first moved, when I first moved to the States, I was in Hawaii and we transferred from Hawaii to Florida in 2004. I think it was. Okay. And I took my first dog to the vet. Yeah. And I noticed on the front desk, and she, I think she was going for a chip or something. It wasn't, it wasn't major surgery, but sure. on, the, on the front desk, it, it was giving us sort of an overview of the price of spay or neuter. And sure. it said sort of surgery. And then it said separately pain medication. Right. And, and yeah. I was talking, and so I said to the receptionist, but is that not included? She said, no, a lot of our clients won't pay it. I've heard that too. And I said, so you yeah. will do surgery without a mandated 
um, pain meds? She said, yes. And I said, but surely that's a minimum level of care that, and she said, we would rather spay and neuter the animal than turn the client down because they won't pay the extra 20 something dollars for the pain. And meds. see, they should just add the price of the surgery, $27. Right. But, but I thought, to, and, and when I, as I got to know the vet, which I did, I lived there for several years and the vet actually became a really good friend of mine and her partner um, became a good friend of ours. She said to me, and said to me, she said, Nikki, it's souls destroying when we are mm-hmm. having to quibble with clients over a $24 pain medication to do surgery. This Lazy. isn't, this isn't painkillers to go home with. This is part of that pre, 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 um, you know, before the surgery, the sort of mix of cocktails and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and that blew me away. Now that was 20 years mm-hmm. ago. It's pro- it might not be like that anymore. It probably isn't like that anymore, but is that the kind of thing that vets are dealing with? And then, and then, and then when somebody pays it, then they quibble afterwards and want it taken off the bill because they didn't approve the pain meds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you get that all the time. Yeah, I mean, so where I really hard for I, because you want to, you want to help the animal, but at the same yeah. time, you yeah. vets do have a minimum level of care that they feel obligated to provide. Uh, yes. And so you're stuck between that rock and that hard place. And Mm -hmm. this isn't to say that we always feel like that every pet must receive like a Cadillac level of care. There are certainly like plans A, B, C, D, but there is still a very basic of care that ethically you feel you must provide. Otherwise, that animal doesn't have any decent quality of life at all. And so when people aren't even accepting that minimum that you feel is ethical, but they also won't Mm -hmm. allow a euthanasia, that puts you in a really awful spot. Yeah, really bad. Um, And then you get a lot of, like I understand these people are in a stressful situation and they're often also grieving Mm -hmm. and that gets taken out on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you get a lot of, like do you call it emotional blackmail kind of a thing yeah. you know like yeah. um and and they try to guilt trip you and and yeah. you get screamed at and there's um threats of violence and there's like I've had to call that's, the police before you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. um you know yeah. something that that you said Dr. M and and Nikki that you brought up mm-hmm. I just had a situation where I ran into someone that works at the veterinary school in Kansas state. And this was about three years ago. And and we started talking just randomly about um, the suicide rates of veterinarians. And I said to her, what do you think that's due to her comment to me was it's definitely the emotions that people go through that perfectionist type, you know, personality type, as you mentioned. And she said that at Kansas State, when they're bringing students in or they're accepting students, evaluating who's going to be let into the program, they're now aware of that. And they're not necessarily looking for those perfectionists. They said they're looking for people emotionally that can handle it just a little bit better. So where someone may have 5,000 hours, I'm exaggerating, volunteering in a vet school, but that's all they did. She said, you know, sometimes we're better to go to the person that did a thousand hours and played basketball and ran track Mm -hmm. and had all these extra activities that made them more well-rounded in ways that would help them deal with stress and anxiety. So, you know, you kind of wonder if that selection process isn't, you know, part of it too. And I, I think they're just, you know, trying that 
And I don't know, that was three years ago. Yeah, like I said. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like any job, isn't it? I mean, you've got to look at what are the demands of the job and not just the physical skills and knowledge, but the emotional. I mean, Dr. M said the moral, I think it was moral injury, you called it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I made that reference. I mean, I I worked as an exec director at that shelter for, I actually did it as a favor to my girlfriend that was the president of the board and they were having big financial problems. And I didn't have a lot of experience with animals at the time. And she said to me, look, you're a business person. Da, 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 da. Can you come in and just give us the, just come and do an audit, tell us what's going on. And I went in and basically said, you guys are going to be closing in a month if you don't do something. This is ridiculous. There's money pouring out everywhere. Blah, 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 blah. Um, anyway, I ended up staying there for two years. And I, I love working with the animals. But I have to tell you, after two years, I was emotionally done. I mean, yeah. For all the good moments, there weren't, there were more bad moments in terms of, I mean, I would walk through the shelter and it, I mean, I couldn't walk through the aisles of that shelter without crying. I mean, not a day went by. And if we had a bad situation, I mean, I was driving 40 miles to get home. I would cry the entire 40 miles home. Nikki, there's a reason why I don't do a lot of shelter work. And yeah, there's only I mean, one I'm shelter I work I mean, with. The times that I would pull over in my car and call Rick and just burst into tears. Um, and, and that's why I have so much compassion and respect for the people that work with rescue. It takes a special type of person. It it really does. Um, and they do do so much good work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, So even with veterinarians, I mean, even if you hired that sort of ideal person, there's no guarantee that after three years, five years, seven years, 10 years that because ultimately right. we're not machines, are we? I mean, we are mm. sentient, <laughs> living, emotional beings. And I, I just think, I mean, maybe in the veterinary industry, it should be mandated that every two years you take six months off and go and enjoy oh. and play and have fun and, you know, re- regroup. Because I don't know anybody that could, um, I mean, doctors don't experience that. They're not experiencing no. all that I emotional think- trauma. So right. they experience less death than veterinarians do because a lot of them don't yeah. provide euthanasia services, right. but also their patients live way, 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 longer. way, way longer. longer. Yeah. And so yeah. many yeah. of them say they only specialize in one very small area where a lot right. of veterinarians are more GP, well, even though yeah. we do surgeries and we do everything yeah. right. with yeah. puppies and seniors yeah. and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. means that we do a lot of euthanasias yeah. and there's a lot of exposure to death and that is wearing, but like in, in, a physician is paid an amount that they can then afford to take six months off when they need it. Right. Um, where I, I, I would also think, and I, I could can't. be wrong, I could be wrong, but I, I would think that they're more protected as well, because mm. if you look at your average veterinary hospital, the veterinarian is dealing directly with the client, not just, I mean, when I think about mm. surgery, the, sur- the surgeon, mm. you probably haven't even seen him before you get to the hospital. He, <laughs> cut, he comes in, has a look at you, the anesthesiologist comes in, figures out how he's going to put you out, and the surgeon goes, I'll see you afterwards. But yeah. they're not dealing. But I do all of that. I do everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Because there's multiple levels of administrators and yeah. and all kinds right. of people that are dealing, even to the point of like hospital ambassadors that deal with patient, you know, ambassador mm-hmm. advocacy, patient advocacy, yeah. which you don't have in a veterinary setup. So you're really sort of expected to be master of everything and yeah. well, deal with all the personal, that the interpersonal issues as well. Yeah. Well, and then you talk insurance, right? A lot of people can afford mm-hmm. things that for themselves that they may not be able to afford for their pets if they don't have pet insurance. 
So it's easier for them to say, sure, go ahead and do that operation where with the dog, they're saying, wow, it's going to be $4,000. Where am I going to get that? So yeah. I think that, you know, that also factors pet insurance, in. please. I know, <laughs> people I know. Pet insurance. I have it for all of my it's, animals because I, I, I do too. You yeah. know, I looked, I looked last year and my 11 year old dog, I think I used $20. I, I spent $20 of nice. pet insurance on her, <laughs> but I paid, you know, 1200 or whatnot. But you know what? The minute you don't have it is when you need it. So yeah. yes. what yeah. the heck? And you know, that's, that's insurance. That's life, yeah. right? But yeah, I don't ever want to have to say, no, I can't do this or that. And exactly. so many people don't get insurance because they say, oh, I'll just put that money in the bank account. Right. My one dog was like $25,000 for some cancer yeah. treatment. I could have saved every penny of what I yeah. paid in vet insurance and, and it went out of covered it. So the yeah, other thing they, they don't, the other thing they don't consider is if they have more than one animal and right. one needs $10,000 for a hip replacement. And then three months later, mm-hmm. another one gets into a dog fight or hit by a car or gets into renal yeah. failure or whatever. Breaks and, a tooth. Breaks exactly. a tooth. I mean, and then yeah. you need thousands of dollars, you yeah. know, just a few months later, but they haven't been able to save up to you know replenish their savings account. So that's right. a, that's a big problem. And then people also don't put enough into the savings account to begin with. Yes. Um, yeah. You don't think so, you're going to use it. And so, you know, I'll do that next month or whatnot. Right. Yeah. That insurance <laughs> I've is never, I've, so it's good. Funny, I've never thought about so insurance. It's just, it's never been mm-hmm. on my radar. It's interesting. Oh. Yeah. 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 I've also never had, um, I've never had a massive problem health-wise. Well, you, you know, my Annie was playing with a hose. I think I told you this, Nikki, she was biting one of those metal hoses. She loves to play in water. Yeah. And I walked in my backyard and I see her on the concrete patio biting at the hose. And my husband's saying, isn't that adorable? And I'm like, oh my God, turn off the water. A couple of days or the next day, I see this little white thing on the ground. She had broken a front tooth off at the gum. Ouch. So I called the doggy dentist. I think there's only like 60 doggy dentists in the country and we have five of them, you know, or we have five of them in Mississippi. Well, no. Yeah. Mississippi, (laughs) we have three, three in Kansas city and one or two in St. Louis. I called, I called around. One of them said, come in Friday. I got in the car, woke up at five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning to be there for the first appointment in Kansas city across the state. He pulled the tooth. It was not cheap. Yeah. And, you know, insurance, it ended up being a deductible of, you know, under a hundred dollars, but it was, you know, this is a baby and we were going into a dental office. I mean, they gave me the little bag with the toothbrush and toothpaste when I walked out, just like you go to a pediatric dentist and, um, you know, thank God that I yeah. didn't have to just fork out, you know, several thousand dollars for that. What, it, was, what is your average insurance that cost a month though for a pet owner? It, I mean, it depends that, on the breed and it depends right. on the age. And then there's deductibles and there's, and there's you know, so it's probably as difficult as buying health insurance with preconditions. Oh, I, I, yeah, I almost think it's yeah. tricky, but yeah. you know, I, I go to pets fast. I've, I've just had nothing but luck with yeah. them. And this little one here that was sitting here, she's four. And I think she's $32 a month. And, yeah. um, it's an 80%, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I think what's it called pets best. So the first insurance company that was out there was VIP veterinary pet VPI veterinary pet insurance. And the man that started it started having disagreements with what their board was doing. So he left and he started yeah. pets best. Yeah. 
And I have been with them from the day he, he I was with BPI and then went to him the minute he right. started it. Fabulous company. And, and for, if pet owners are watching or other professionals, can you go online yeah. and sort of get your policy online? You can yeah, on yeah. Yes. You go oh, online. Yeah. They have people, you can kind of put it in, you know, what, what would it yeah. be? And if you look at it and you're like, wow, I don't know if this is the right policy for me, you can talk to them. They're amazing. They talk right. you through it. They even cover her acupuncture. So that's how is, amazing. How is that different to the care credits that veterinarians take, Dr. M? Well, with, with I don't know care you're essentially, Yeah, with care credit, you're essentially applying for a credit card okay. that you get a certain amount for. So then that credit card is used to pay the vet clinic and then you pay installments back to the care credit. So it's like a loan. That's it's like a loan. Yeah, it's like a loan. Rather, okay. than yeah. In, rather than an insurance paying up front and getting it back, you borrow and then pay it afterwards. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. there are also some insurance companies um, like, well, in Canada, they may be different from where you guys are, but like Trupanion, where they will work with the vet clinics. So Trupanion will actually pay mm. the clinics. So you don't even have to pay it up front and wait right. for reimbursement. You just pay for them. They reimburse 90%. So you just pay your 10% plus your deductible if you have whatever that is. And just then like people. That's yeah, just like yeah. people. Exactly. And they, so they all have different programs, you know, they do. Yeah, and they'll all neat. cover different percentages and they'll have different deductibles. Mm -hmm. And some of them have like a lifetime coverage for specific issues where other ones, it's a yearly amount that you're allowed to use up to a certain balance. So you really have to consider what's best for like your specific situation. So I usually just say to people, ask your vet clinic. They'll usually have two or three companies that they work with a lot that they have good experiences with. Yeah. And then you can look into those yeah. companies, figure out which one works best for your particular pet and your particular right. situation based on what they cover, what they don't cover. Some of them even yeah. cover like your annual care. A lot of them mm -hmm. don't. So it, it really depends on what your needs are and where you're located to, yeah. Yeah. to what company yeah. to yeah. look into. Yeah. yeah. I actually have a veterinary appointment tomorrow because so some of you may know, but my the, my last veterinarian threw me out of his office about three, <laughs> about three weeks ago. So I'm, uh, I'm trying a new vet tomorrow. Yeah, that was a very traumatic. I hope it goes well. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> I'm actually not a difficult person. I just don't want my animal taken away from me just for a, a vaccination. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it'll be good. Wow, what have we we've covered all kinds of stuff today, haven't we? Wow, and like nothing that the we've good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, don't we, we, we must get you back again because I really enjoyed this conversation. It was all over the place. Oh, it was so yeah. lovely. It was great to yeah. meet yeah. you both. Yeah, yeah you thank too. you so much for having me. So before before we go, um, because we're, we're actually we're, we're over our time, we all just got carried away and talking about some of the. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we have had some laughs and chuckles, and and yeah. also we've also discussed some pretty um, heart rendering topics as well, haven't we? It hasn't all been absolutely. Yeah, but if, um, if people just take away from this to like be kind to their vet clinic staff and to get mm -hmm. pet insurance, I'm happy. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. yeah, that's a great well, start. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was going. I was actually going to close with very similar words. Just let's just be kind to each other. Um, you know, many of us in the pet industry will do everything and anything we can to facilitate the emotional well-being of our pets, but we can be pretty yes. awful towards other humans. So let's, um, <laughs> let's just let's such a good that. point. Let's share some of that kindness and that empathy with all with everybody, our colleagues. I mean, mm -hmm. 
you know, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. You don't even have to like everybody, but you can certainly be civil and kind. Um, <laughs> nobody's forcing you to spend a weekend or to go glamping with somebody you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's at least be kind to each other. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. Can you share your Facebook page with us so people can go there? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I do... Um, mostly through YouTube, I'm posting like client resource videos. So I have one on like litter box care or common reasons that cats eliminate outside of their litter boxes. I have like a house training for dogs basics. Like it's all very basic intro resources for clients. Um, And I do post those through Facebook too. So it's Vet Med Corner um, is what you're looking for. And on Facebook and there's also and and on that Facebook page because I actually did a I I was snooping around it earlier I think Judy was oh good yeah (laughs) there's a really nice link tree there as well where you can get some of the videos and direct access to YouTube yeah yeah lovely yeah wonderful nice yeah and I try to share like information graphics and things there that aren't necessarily mine but like several other places put Mm -hmm. out great stuff and I'm happy to share it so it's all about education and science-based resources for people absolutely yeah Perfect. all right well lovely well thank you so much for joining us it's been a who of yes course. thank you thanks for having me have yeah. a great afternoon or evening where you are i guess whatever it is <laughs> morning yeah <laughs> have a really good whatever it is have a great, yeah have a great whatever yeah. exactly yeah. all right we'll chat with you ladies soon okay take care bye bye